0: Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future Podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer and artist, and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field. If you've been listening to this podcast or are new to it, I thank you very much. I would also appreciate if you took a moment to follow it on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Today's guest is author and editor, Scott Noel. Scott Knoll was published in L. Presents Writers of the Future Volume 6 in 1990, which helped launch a very successful career as a writer and in starting his own science fiction and fantasy magazine, Dreamforge. This is his story. He also reveals what he is looking for from authors wanting to be published. Welcome, Scott. Hi. Thank you, John. Thank you for having me back. It's exciting to be here. Absolutely. We last spoke a couple of years ago and, um, so now that uh, we've grown quite a bit, I'm looking forward to uh, sharing the great news of your uh, magazine now. You're in the fifth year now? This is our fifth year. Yes, we're just entering it. Which is amazing. So that's, that's great. I remember your first year in the, in the first issue at a Writers of the Future uh, workshop. We got copies of that first issue um, that we, um, is the first or second issue that we passed out to all the winners. It was very exciting the start of a new science fiction magazine and so i'm actually to talking about that and the importance of what you do with dreamforge cannot be overstated because you're that special and now very rare component in the publishing world as a science fiction magazine so let's dig right in okay so first, would you like me to tell us what yeah, dreamforge is all about absolutely all right sorry to interrupt you
1: john um, but the idea for Dreamforge came to us in like 2018 or so. My wife is very involved in this. She's our layout artist and, and, and line artist and does a, does a lot of that work. But um, we were basically getting dissatisfied with what we were reading in science fiction and fantasy in terms of everything trending toward the dark and the apocalyptic and dystopian. And that's not... science fiction necessarily that we grew up with I, i myself am a big star trek fan and we wanted to do something that basically said you know hey there there is a hopeful future um humans are great problem solvers and you know we can basically get around all of the challenges that are are before us you know i myself believe that the future has always been the better place to be i certainly wouldn't want to have lived even in the 40s and 50s i certainly wouldn't want to have lived 200 years ago even a a generation past, I'm, I'm in my mid sixties and, you know, by this age, if I were in any other age, I would, you know, be blind, crippled. (laughs) And I mean that literally because I've, I've had, I have, I essentially have artificial lenses in my eyes. You know, I've had damage to my knee that, you know, wouldn't have been able to be repaired, you know, in, in previous generations. The future is always a better place to be and not just, just medically. Um, You know, even when we talk about things like climate change, we're in an age where people say, "Oh my God, you know the world's going to end because of this, and nobody's paying attention and and I would disagree it's people are paying attention, and that in itself is amazing. This is the first age in which people have actually even understood that or paid any attention to it. so you can always like the glass is half empty, half full you can you can look at the situation and and um and try to see you know which direction it's going. but as far as DreamForge goes, that's what we try to do. We try to look for those stories that basically aren't utopian. They don't say, oh, everything's fine, or everything's inevitably going to be fine, but they look at the world, and they basically say, okay, well, who are the people who are going to solve the problems? What's the perspective that we can take to look at history and all of this? And like a tagline that we often use for our stories is that um, in all worlds and times, our tales revolve around those individuals and groups who bring meaning and value to the world, whose actions are of consequence, and whose dreams are the vanguard of things to come. And that's, that's basically Dreamforge
0: which is amazing. And I I really appreciate this a lot too, because that's not dissimilar to what we do with writers and illustrators of the future. Uh, Mr. Hubbard, when he created the contest, had viewed science fiction as that herald of possibility. So while we're not necessarily saying, you know, like you said, everything's utopian, the ultimate solution to any problem is the human spirit. You know, we're the ones that are going to go through in that, that tenacity to life, which is going to make us, overcome any obstacle and grant us that ability to be able to do that. It's really easy to have the naysayers and the cup is always half empty. And you're right. You know, though you have those people, that's not our book and it's obviously not your magazine.
1: Well, and, and the other thing, and, and we've talked about this, but one of the tensions that, that I've always been fascinated with by humanity, not just by science fiction, is just the idea that, that, you know, are we just a species that's just a natural species like all other ones, that we're no more freer to change ourselves or our situation than like a bison or a blue whale? Or, you know, are we some special species, you know, an ascendant species that can have the entire universe as its playground. And, and that's part of the tension of, of Dreamforge too. So then that's one of the reasons why we don't look at things as just completely dystopian because yeah, we're a very rowdy species, John. It's, it's like mm-hmm. we have violent tendencies, you know um, we, you know, have, have hatreds, both interpersonal and interracial and, you know, all that stuff. And we have wars, but we're always also taking a, a you know step beyond that. and And part of us is, um, you know learning how the universe works, and part of us is learning how to take care of other people and part of us is cooperative and you know so we're always we 're always just of the opinion that the 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 better angels uh, are always going to be if they don 't win out completely they 're always going to be
0: a bit further ahead than than the destructive nature that we have absolutely there is a story that you wrote this we 'll be talking about this too, but in worlds of light and darkness, which is um the Best of DreamForge Space-Time, Volume 1. And I read several stories, in it. but one I really liked is in the foreword, written by yourself, your opening paragraph. Like all human endeavors, writing can be turned to harmful purposes. Storytelling becomes propaganda. Narratives are crafted to divide us, to sow fear and distrust for the benefit of those who would reap the power in their lives. Yet, in essence, writing and oral lore, its ancient precursor, have always been an act of hope. And I really like that. I hadn't really looked at it like that, when, but it was just so like black and white, you know, reading that opening, you know, your, your opening line. It was like, wow, I really loved that article. But it's so true. You see it happening. You see it even the more so with the social media, the divisiveness of, of words, storytelling. People make up stuff and it's, you can't tell what's truth versus not. But one man's truth might be somebody else's lies too. So that's also part of, the, um, of that challenge.
1: Well, social media—you uh, know—a lot of the things that we go through today, those are brand new tools for us. It's like, as a species, we don't necessarily know how to deal with that or know where that's going to evolve. And I think when we started, it was very naively thought that it was going to just—you know—open up uh, free freedom of expression for everyone, and and the entire world was going to be able to to you know talk about ideas and ideas would have equal footing and the best ideas would win out and and obviously that's not quite the internet that we know we know an internet of very cacophonous voices that just you know want to fight with one another and put each other down and troll one another and and all this sort of thing that's not the entirety of the internet though uh you can right. certainly look at that if you if you want to but you know, I belong to any number of, you know, Facebook groups and, and that sort of thing where that's that's not the message at all. And people are cooperating with one another, especially like our writers groups, helping one another write, um, helping, you know, the, when we work with our first line readers from around the world, helping find good stories to put in the magazine. Um, you know, the cooperation and the goodwill is is certainly there. But like anything else, the 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 you know bully voices or the nasty voices can certainly get the attention and can certainly make it look like that's all there is.
0: Sure. Well, in the old days, you used to have the stockades, and you had the the women and men that went around spreading uh, rumors and and false tales would end up in the stockades. You know, they just you see them and um, they'd be out in the open for ridicule, and that was that. That was the handle. You don't have that anymore. It's
1: that's why the future is a better place to be (laughs) (laughs) because now you can just go on you can go online and you can say whatever it is that you want and no matter how ridiculous or silly it is you know you'll you'll get some some attention and nobody essentially puts you in jail for it so when you know they talk about all this censorship online it's like i'm i'm not sure exactly what they're talking about because there's an awful lot of of different opinions all over the place there. And some of them are pretty nutty and some of them are, are certainly uh, you don't have to look far either to find very you know wise and reasoned people who are giving balanced uh, information. It's, it's just, you know, we, we like listening to our own voices. We like getting validated. We, we actually enjoy being in those, those echo chambers where people are agreeing with us because we all want to, we all want to think we're smart. We all want to think we know the answers. And, and the internet is, is basically just a playground where you can, you know, find everyone who agrees with you, you can get in your little huddle and and sometimes that's a little destructive but but like I said, um it's a brand new tool. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like or how people are going to evolve to use it in fifty years, hundred years, two hundred years. It wasn't even around you know when i was was a young man and was learning my trade and and doing stuff it's It's so brand new that we we really don't have a handle
0: on it. yeah for sure but it's interesting that the the value of science fiction and fantasy itself as a genre you know even though what gets told and what's allowed and what's current in the way that's actually the storytelling that's, that's acceptable or as it is accepted in the complexity of it still has that a purpose. I think at least that is either for the, for the dystopian stuff, here's, you know, a warning, you know, or somehow another, some, some type of a, Satirical bent on it to poke fun at you know what's happening or the trend that's going to get people to say hey whoa 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 how do you see that?
1: Well, all those voices are tremendously tremendously useful. So I would never say hey you know our stories are the only type of stories to be told. I love horror stories, but DreamForge doesn't publish horror stories, you know that kind of thing. Uh, so when when um, you're talking about you know dystopian warnings and you're talking about satire and all those things, those those voices in in the mix are extremely valuable. The idea is that, that anything where you're, where you're writing fiction, you're, you're really engaged in an initial act of hope because you're not writing to say, hey, we're all doomed and we're all going to die tomorrow and just give up hope. No matter what you're writing about, even if you're making fun of your government or if you're making fun of corporations or whatever, you're basically doing it as an act of hope that you can make some change, that there will be some incremental movement toward the better in whatever that situation is. We're simply basically stressing the idea that those changes will happen, not that not that they're impossible. We're stressing the idea that there are people who are working toward those changes and will succeed in some elements of, of those changes. So, so definitely, all those all those different voices are extremely uh, valuable and useful. It's it's the competition of ideas. It's it's um, you know the the playground where where people are out there trying to get their message across.
0: Right. So now I want to back up a bit now. So how has your timeline evolved from becoming a writer to editor or from coming out of your mother's womb to becoming a writer to editor?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, <laughs> I never planned on being an editor is, is one good place to start. Um, I didn't parta- I loved writing, but I didn't particularly plan on, on becoming a writer actually i was thinking today i was in a networking group of of businesses today and that was actually one of our their questions it was basically how did you get into your profession what kind of drove you forward and 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 the a- actual story i can remember is is from grade school um, we were being taught by a teacher grade school teacher i was actually a nun i went to catholic school who was trying to ground us in the idea of saying, hey, you shouldn't pay attention to those silly science fiction stories that you see on TV and in the movies and stuff. And and they were giving us the, the he, she was giving us the idea that if you were to have a computer that could actually work like that, that you see on the movies or or a robot that you could see in on TV, like to to be as smart as a human, that computer would have to be as big as the whole planet earth. And, you know, think how silly that is. And, and that's not what I thought at all. My, my initial childish brain basically said, so you're saying if we built a computer as big as the planet, it would, it would, could be as smart as a person. And I said to myself, that's only an engineering problem. (laughs) 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 That's not some fundamental uh, uh, thing that says this can't be done. That's, that's just engineering. And, and that's exactly what happened, you know, as, as I grew up and in my life, because when I was that age, computers that don't do what my cell phone will do took up huge amounts of space in like a warehouse and, and they had to be refrigerated. And, and every step along the way, as I grew up to high school and college and that's when they got smaller and by college, it was a computer lab, you know, and then basically they were selling uh, computers to people. I remember getting my Commodore 64 and saying, you know, this is absolutely silly. I don't, I, I don't know why they decided to sell these to people, but what are people ever going to do with these? But as long as they were silly enough to make one, I'm going to buy one <laughs> so that, so that I have this, I may never have this chance again. And, um, you know, but we obviously went from the the Commodore 64 to business computers. And I, I saw them come into the businesses where I worked and, I just fell in love with the idea of progress and technology and how the world was changing. Um, Just seeing things like, um, I went to school and actually learned a slide rule. And that was at the time when calculators were coming in. And naturally we were told that uh, calculators, you weren't allowed to use those because that's that's just crazy. And you need to learn how to use your slide rule and do this stuff in your head. And you're never going to have this tool when you're actually doing something. And for me, again, it was that same reaction that I had in, in grade school. It's like, that's silly. Why are you even saying that? You know, of course we're going to be using these devices. Yeah,
0: those, tech, those Texas a, instrument calculators were so. Well, cool. Yeah, anybody that had the Texas, Texas in
1: was like cool. Uh, it's it's just going to be like a couple of years, and and th- these are going to be the standard thing that you yeah. use. So so I always saw that, and I was very very interested in that. So that was part of my career and and just learning to love the computer. Well, everybody else at any place that I worked was terribly afraid of them. I loved them and I wanted to know how they worked and learn the networking aspect of it, learn how to do things, learn stuff, word processing, all that kind of thing. And then just kind of tangential to that was how I got involved with Writers of the Future. I um, Went and, and um, uh, bought a copy of Battlefield Earth at some point as a, as a young man and I absolutely loved that book, but I remember it was very early in the contest because this contest has been around for quite a while. And um, there was a card in there that said, submit to writers of the future. So I did that, uh, obviously didn't get in on my first try, but uh, in, by volume six, I was in second place there. And um, you know that was a transform- transformative thing because it's now it's like, oh, I, maybe, maybe I can do some writing here and this is pretty cool. Well, one of the things that happened that combined the idea of the computers with the idea of writing, was that um when i was at, at that particular point there was a computer game company that was starting up in my area and you guys are so good at the publicity the um letting people know in the area hey this person won this international contest and is a writer and all that that the computer gaming company called me up and said hey you you write we need a writer um and i said at that time they couldn't offer me what i was making but I would have jumped for computer stuff at any point. It's like, um, can can you know can you let me sleep on your couch and give give me hot dogs? I don't know. I'll come. Uh, spaghetti. We'll have Spaghetti, spaghetti once in a while. I'll come okay. and, and work for you, and we'll just we'll just figure it out. And and that turned into a that turned into a decade long career because I went from um, uh, line you know basically writing novellas and short stories and things in the the, the game character interaction text to basically direct voice director, to um, uh, associate producer, eventually to project manager in charge of, you know, multimillion dollar games that we were putting out at that point. And by that point I could eat. Uh, but, <laughs> um, and, and that also that same company, which at the time was called Event Horizon and eventually beca- became called Dreamforge. Guess where the name of the magazine yes. came from. My wife was working there as well. So, um, we've probably been, we've been working together for, you know, every day for like 30 years. We just, a little while later, made just decided to get married and we, we still work together every day. Uh, and we've been doing that forever. But, um, so, so that's how essentially the love of computers and the idea of the future and how we were evolving intersected with writing, intersected with, um, uh, you know, getting a job with computer games. And then eventually, as my wife and I founded our own business, which is, is based in web development, and that's actually what I do today. Am I still a writer? Yes, I'm a content developer. Um, I don't write a lot of fiction, but I write for companies all over the country as far as um, their particular content and blogs and, and that sort of thing, which is also a great way to learn stuff. It is an amazing way to learn about how things are changing around the world and, and in different industries. But um, there was a point in um, 2018 or so, because, you know, we've had the company for a long time. We've got a young partner who's starting to take over responsibilities. We've got staff. We said, um, you know, we're, we're, we actually don't have to work 15 hours a day, so let's find a way to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> so so, you know, I came up with this idea, well, it'd be kind of cool to, to write, uh, you know, to get a magazine together. And, and, uh, you know, we, we've both been, you know, talking about how things are so dystopian looking, let's, let's do something that's a little different than that. And that's where Dreamforge comes from. So I really didn't have a plan to become an editor. It wasn't like, it was like basically that year, it was like 2018. And it's like, yeah, I think I can do this. Let's, let's do this. But that's the same attitude that I think both of us have had, and is a good attitude, is you, you just see kind of an opportunity, and let's try to do it. The, the worst thing that can happen is you you know fall on your tushy, and you know <laughs> learn what your capabilities are, what you can and can't do. So so we started DreamForge. Uh, I remember getting some of the first stories that we had submitted. That um, I would look at them and I would say, you know, these are really good. I want to publish these. And, and my wife Jane said. You, you still don't know what you're doing. You don't know if that's any good or not. <laughs> and I would say, I, I said, yeah, yeah, this, this, this is good, you know, and um, because we, some of our first submissions were really that good and it threw us off a little bit because you hear about the slush pile and how awful most things are. And, and you know, it, it, it didn't turn out that way and I still don't think it's that way. I think a lot of people write a lot of good stuff. Obviously, we can't publish it all. And some people, you know, do need some help and some guidance. And <laughs> you've you've got that, but um, and I'm sure you you guys see that with writers of the future. Just just by the length of the list of your honorable mentions and silver honorable mentions and stuff, it's it's like there's a lot of good stuff in there. You're you're yeah. just you know trying to, to filter it down and 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 that sort of thing. And that's that's like, that's that's how that's how like the top ten percent. What you see as honorable mentions. Yeah, yeah. We and as far as publishing, um, like we end up. You know, the numbers are just the numbers. It's like we can buy about 2%. And what I always try to tell people, I try to, one of the things we try to do is give people a realistic understanding of how publishing works, at least from our perspective, because we were never in it before. We had to learn everything. Mm -hmm. But we can publish about 2%. And that's because that's what the budget allows. And when we're doing that, we're not saying, oh, these are the best 2% of everything that came in. There could be a really terrific story. But if it's a horror story, it's like I'm gonna say, well, this isn't right for DreamForge.
0: Yeah, it's not your market. Or,
1: yeah, or I could have um, five out of you know. Let's say last time we did submissions, we got like 650 submissions. Let's let's say five of those were really terrific Mars stories. Well, unless it's my intention to do a Mars themed thing, which it wasn't, I can't buy five Mars themed stories. I might even look at it and say, but I, you know, I had a pretty good Mars story in the last issue and I don't really want to have another one. So there go five stories that were perfectly good, perfectly publishable and they're going back to the author. We're not and and we don't call it rejection, we call it returns cuz we're just returning your story. I can't use this right now. And you know, and then there are those that, that do have some some issues. They need to learn some things about the structure of storytelling and and you know, it doesn't mean that they're they're untalented, it doesn't mean that they're they're, you know, bad or they've crafted a terrible product. It just means like anything else, they they just need some instruction to get past some rough points in in what they do. We can't offer that to everybody, but what we came up with in DreamForge was to create a Patreon support group that we call Dreamcasters, and um, that's where people who are really interested in uh, learning some crafting stuff come to come to our Zoom meetings, and we try to bring on guests, and we try to do writing challenges, and we try to help them, you know. Uh, advance in, in their ability to write, which which was also a new thing. That wasn't something we had as an intention when we started Dreamforge. We just, just wanted to make the magazine. And then over time, as you're working through all these hundreds and hundreds and thousands of stories, you kind of get drilled into your head. It's like, I know what's wrong. <laughs> you know, it's like, like these ones that, that we really can't accept because they're not quite at the mark you know, we've, we've seen this a thousand times. We know exactly what's wrong with these stories. It's either, you know, too much exposition or, or they've started in the wrong story in the wrong place, or they don't know how to do dialogue or whatever. They're very common things. So, so one of our next evolutions was just to try to get into helping people. And when we did it formally, rather than the idea of just trying to give people notes for each story, one, that's, that's an amazing amount of time. I'm sure, you know, from, from reading and, and editing, uh, if you have like 650 stories like we did last time and you spend like five minutes on each one, that's like 80 hours work. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously on some we spend more than five minutes and on, you know, so you have to basically get some kind of method down to it. But what we found was the idea that if people, writers in general, not saying they're not, they're very nice people and they have very good intentions, but, but 90% of them, when they send you a story, what they're looking, if you send them a comment back, what they're looking for is validation. They're not really looking to learn to write, um, which is fine. I mean, I mean, there's nothing evil or bad in that intention, but they, they, they're really looking for someone to tell them they did a good job. So if without, without asking them, you and we learned this the hard way, without asking them, if you just start sending them back information, it's like, here's what you did wrong. Don't do this. Lots of times that's very disappointing. And it's like, you know, that's how we, got, that's how we get cursed by voodoo people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a story. That's a story in itself. But we did actually get a voodoo curse once for sending a story back.
0: Congratulations! Um,
1: yeah, <laughs> I, I thought it was. I thought it was great. But uh, th- people just get upset, or they say, "Well, you don't understand what I'm doing," or you know, you, you you don't see where I'm going with this, or or whatever. But they basically throw it back on you. So so we le- Not everyone, but we learned essentially not to give unsolicited feedback. And what we've we've done sometimes is we've basically said to some people it's like if you'd like to hear some you know if you'd like to hear some comments on this what we think let me know and i'll put the time in to do it but i'm not just going to send you just random feedback because you may not want to hear what it is we have to say you you know you may you may just want to hear how good you are and and that's not always the the case right now but you could be better so that's, that's why we ended up coming up with the idea of the Dreamcasters and people who are really serious about, you know, hearing what might, their problems might be and how to improve, improve what they're doing. Yeah, I was a guest and, in the um,
0: Dreamcasters um, earlier this month. Yeah, we appreciated having you. Yeah, it was fun t- talking to those people. Lots of questions, a lot of definitely a lot of they're very high interest group you've got there.
1: Yes. Yes. And, uh, we've, we've done some really cool things. We've, we've, um, uh, if anybody, anybody listening is familiar with the, uh, the great British baking show. Um, we did a contest last year that was styled very much along, along those lines. And what I mean by that is if you've, if you've ever watched that show, it's such a sweet show. It's, it's basically everybody gets into the contest and you have to basically say, okay, well now we've, this person's going home and, you know, these people are moving on to the next phase and that sort of thing. And it's always done very sweetly. It's never like, Oh, they did such a terrible job. You know, the person who's going home usually gets hugs, you know, they get handshakes from the, the people who are doing the show and hugs from their other contestants. And, and we wanted, we wanted basically um uh feeling like that. So uh we, we went through it without getting to that point of saying, well, you're out of here because you screwed up. <laughs> you know, it's, it was, it was, it was more like, and there was a lot of, um, people who just uh, kind of self edited themselves out. We had people as they went along, they got to a certain stage in producing their story. And they basically said, oh, I'm not quite up with everybody else. I'm just just bowing out here. But it was really cool. And they did end up producing uh, some publishable stories out of that. They like when we were done with the contest, they took them back. They did some final massages on them and submitted them. And we actually picked up some of those for, for Dreamforge. And it's very, very heartening as an editor when you go through things like that, because I, I know one, one guy, for instance, when I saw his first work come in, his first submission come in, you know, my, my, and he really was serious. He wanted to uh, basically say, tell me what I'm doing wrong. And, and it's, it's kind of that moment of tension where you have to say, well, really what you submitted was pretty much word salad. I mean, it's like, there's, <laughs> there's, almost, there's almost nothing here to salvage. And here's what that means. And because his, his intention was, I, I want, seriously want to get published. So it was it was like that moment where you have a sit-down and talk with someone. It's like, okay, well, if you're telling me that you're really serious and you want to engage in this, you're nowhere near we where we need to be. And he, you know, he was serious and he basically said, Okay, well, well, tell me what's wrong. And we went through that and he joined Dreamcasters and amazing turnaround in terms of i would never have expected it from word salad to publishable story in like six months wow and you know and very very good story and that story's actually i i yeah i'm not gonna i'm not gonna call them out but good well, <laughs> But it's it's in dreamforge so read dreamforge stories one of those stories is from somebody who who i i didn't have hope for when i originally saw what they were doing so
0: went from salad chef to main chef okay good Tell the the main chef, he did. (laughs) That's great. Well, that's interesting also about that we got on Dreamcasters because also when we created the online writing workshop, that's where you see so many honorable mentions now. We went from having a certain number to it popped up to like 10%. Just the quality of storytelling increased so much more because there we had the 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 individual lessons taught by Orson Scott Card, Dave Farland, and Tim Powers, and all the essays by Oren Hubbard and Algis Budras. And it just makes a real difference where you get some, it's one thing to be able to go and just, I'm, I have a telling you start writing your your words, your your salad, start making your salad. And it's a first course and that's fine, but it's not something that's going to satiate any any real hunger. But then getting these tools of how do you start a story? How do you write the middle? How do you create suspense? How do you handle narration? How do you end a story? Those are all important important parts, you know, to be able to do a story. So that's why that, I think, the Rise of the Future has has been such a um a major influence in the industry. Now I've noticed too, there's a lot of Rise of the Future folks in your, either in your yes. Dreamcasters or in your in your uh, publications. What's your take yes. on um on Rise of the Future and the value of that towards the science fiction in general, science fiction and fantasy?
1: Well, let's let's talk about that just real quick. Yeah. We'll start at the idea that there there are writer, writers of the future people in DreamForge and stuff. Um, I just looked, a brief before we started this, at a couple, but we've had Writers of the Future winners and finalists that have contributed to Dreamforge, including M.T. Wrighton, Billy Merrillanen, I probably murdered that name, Terry Madden, Mike Jack Stumbos, Liz Coulter, Lee Melling, Marie Croke, Donald S. Crankshaw, Gary Kloster, Kurt Pankow, Flores M. Klein, and, and Wolf Moon especially. I'm sure we have others. Those are the ones I could find at a glance. But obviously what you guys are doing and you, writers of the future, when those stories come to us, you can see that thing you're talking about. You can see that idea that they have some idea how these stories are structured. They have some idea how to polish them. They have some idea how to make them uh, come alive for, for the reader. So, you know, that's great. And then the other thing that I see that, that is heartening as well is that as, as we try to do our little part in teaching with our people, I see their names Coming up in your silver mentions and you know silver honorable mention and honorable mention and, and we talk about talk about that as well as they start to improve their things. But but I think one of the th- ways that I see writers of the future is a little bit like the Olympics. It's it's that place where people you know come to compete and prove that they're the best. And you know my first place, my second place, and my third place. And you know uh, you know did I get in there? Um, did you know did I get any kind of honorable mention? Um, so you know, a lot of writers see that as the place to go and kind of prove themselves. So um, it's not just that you're you're looking for the best in writers of the future, but by being there, you're basically creating um, a drive to be the best and a drive to be better than the best that was before, sort of thing. Yeah. So yeah. Um, you know, I would I would hesitate to you know say that that if I took my winning story from 1990 and submitted, you know, as a brand new writer and I submitted it today, who knows if it would even get an honorable mention because that bar has kept being raised, you know, over, over, uh, over the decades. And, and that's going to, you know, be a, uh, a ripple that moves out across the field, mm-hmm. um, in yeah. all the genres and subgenres, because those people that are essentially being trained by trying to compete in your arena, um, and that that you're trying to you know bring them up as as better writers, you're you're going to see that effect go out you know ac- across the uh, both science fiction and fantasy fields.
0: Yeah, it's also interesting too how the genre has evolved and changed. Like usually you see with writers of the future, maybe five to ten years in advance, you'll see that the head of any curve in science fiction, like when steampunk became the the rage you'd see steampunk toys maybe five years before you start seeing it in bookstores. And so it, which kind of makes sense too, because the, the writers who win are become, are the next, they're, they're the writers of the future. You know, they're the ones you can be reading down the road. So like Scott Knoll, you know, so, <laughs> uh, so, but it's, but it's true though, because these are the new voices. And so we had Pat Rothfuss, you know, and Brandon Sanderson, Epic Fantasy had done really well with Lord of the Rings, but there wasn't a whole lot there for a while. I mean, he had Eddings, which I loved reading his his works, but then there wasn't a whole lot. It didn't become the big thing. And then you started seeing more of that as as these people got through recognition and you've got um, Rune Lords with Dave Farland. And and I said, with um he was a winner in volume three, but then you had some of these other winners that have gone on, or maybe they just got honorable mentions as in the case of Brandon, you know, so mm-hmm. it's, um, it's something that your most
1: successful, your su- most successful honorable mention ever. <laughs> I imagine. <laughs> yeah.
0: And um, Joe Hill was an honorable mention. He's, he's done pretty good. Stephen King's son. So um, I go out, I see people and talk to him and say, have you heard of rice? Oh yeah. I, I got an honorable mention from you. said, Wow, that's cool. You know, um, there's just been so many people over the years. I mean, we're in year forty now, so four decades of writers of the future. So now, going back then to DreamForge, how do writers submit to you? You said you you get hundreds of of entries, but what's the actual process, and what do you prefer? Because some people will just send something to you and not necessarily follow the the guidelines. You know, and the penalties for not following guidelines.
1: Well, the penalties for not following guidelines are basically that you signal to the editor real fast that you don't really care what they're looking for, or or you know you you're you're just not even playing the game. It's just you found a place that was open and you just just decided to send this file. But how how do you submit? Well, first of all, we only uh, accept submissions for certain periods during the year. They're not set periods where I can tell you well every May we do this, but uh, because. Jane and I have, you know, we work full-time jobs besides this, so so our schedules can can be unique, and, and we have to try to find set-aside time to do things. But we will announce, and we announce this on the usual places that writers usually know, like Raylan and Duotrope. We also have a page on Dreamforge that you can follow. So you go to dreamforgemagazine.com slash call four-dash submissions So call four-dash submissions after dreamforgemagazine.com, and we'll always post there what's going on. And it'll say the portal is open or the portal is closed uh, or we're you know, going to open the portal on a certain date. Next submission period will probably be sometime in spring of the year. But when that, that comes open, uh, we have essentially an online portal um, that is our own. Uh, we, we don't use um, Submission Grinder or whatever. You know, there are a lot of other ones out there. And and you basically just need your file. You need your Word doc file, your RTF file, and you need to upload that into the portal and tell us who you are. You know, it gives you the opportunity to write a little cover letter uh, and submit that. Um, and what that does then is that gives me the opportunity to basically have that available in our cloud-based system for all of our first-line readers who are literally around the world. I have have uh, people who work for me with you know work with me from Canada, England, Australia, New Zealand, Germany you know, depending on, on what, who's available during that time. And it gives us a lot of ability then to read those stories and to comment on them and see other people's comments and, and you know, try to get a feel for, for what stories we think are, are actually, you know, the, the ones we want to, you know, possibly publish here in, in the coming period. But um, so it's, it's basically a portal submission process. Uh, we're looking for anything ranging from poetry of like, you know, a very short poem to um, flash fiction to the maximum that we want right now is 5,000 words. So, so we, we cap it at 5,000 words. And obviously we're looking for, for hopeful themes. So uh, writers who are familiar with the idea of solar punk or hope punk, or simply a good story that has a positive ending. Um, those are the kind of uh, things that we're looking for. And um you know, we, we go from there and then then we basically just try to, to go through that as, as quickly as possible, although for us that can be six to eight weeks and um, and get back to everyone and pick the, the, the ones that we're able to buy. Our big thing this year in our fifth year, any we we basically want to increase our revenue to the point where we can pay eight cents a word. We're paying seven cents a word right now. Our big goal for year five is to get that up to the professional rate. Beginning professional rate of eight cents a word. So anybody who buys a subscription, anybody who helps us out with—we have a Kickstarter this year, or any of the other buy, Birch, buy merch on our website, get a T-shirt. Anything you do, really, you're helping us achieve that goal because we really are in it for the writers and uh, and you know the illustrators, and we want those creative people to basically be rewarded at, at a level that at least means something. You know, we're not you know handing them. Uh, a banana and a free copy we <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's good of you <laughs> we, not to say not, not to say that really small presses you know are uh, are bad for doing that um you know don't that sort of thing we have to start somewhere, sure everybody has to start somewhere sure. but but our goal has been to continually improve the ability of of what we can what we can pay our creative people
0: good now you've got two incarnations of your stories. you got your magazine, and then you've got your the best of Dreamforge. So how does that work? What qualifies for best of? Is this based upon your take, or is it upon like what used to be in, in um, the old magazines where the fans would write and say these, they'd vote for their top stories of, of that issue, and you take the fan verdict to determine who the best uh, stories are?
1: That's a very good question, and I would say we have more than two incarnations. So let's okay. <laughs> let's back up just a second and talk about incarnations. So so we have we have a couple of things that we do. Uh, we have an online readers portal, which is a place where you can go to read the stories. Most of what we do, we we put up there for free. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have digital copies of of DreamForge. Now, the the online digital copies, the difference they have from print is that. We not only have stories, but we also have articles. So we will have articles. One kind of article I call "Hope Notes," where we just talk about things, like uh, people may or may not have heard that the Great Barrier Reef had a really good year this last year. It it, it had amazing recovery, um, you know that sort of thing. So we we will have articles that talk about this idea of look, things can move in the right direction. Sometimes there are good things happening. Uh, we have articles since we have become so focused on helping writers uh, articles on writing. I will write articles on writing, but we also have our, our resident writer, Wolf Moon, who's a writers of the future winner and very successful at, at, at being a writing coach and helping other writers along. And he contributes an article uh, every time from his super secret series. And, um, uh, we, we publish those articles. We also have, um, uh, online line edits, we, we usually every issue, we we can find someone who will say, yeah, it's okay if you show how, what the first draft was to the end draft and how we got there and what all the line edits were. That's fine. I'd love people to be able to see how that happened. So for paying subscribers, you know, we have, we have some of those features. So that's, we call that Dreamforge Anvil and that's actually quarterly. And um, uh, so we do that once a quarter to get those out. And then what happens is, we will take um, the first two issues of the year, so the first two quarters of the year, first half of the year, and we will combine those into a print magazine. The stories, anyway, a lot of the other features we we can't all put, you know, in the um, in the print. But in we combine that into a print issue, which, as you can see, we we try to have very nice covers. Here's the issue before that. They're they're uh, full color. They're illustrated. You know, we have uh, very nice uh, illustrated interiors. Uh, so. That comes out twice a year, and then uh, this uh, one that you've been talking about, Worlds of Light and Darkness, is an anthology that we actually did with um, Uproar Books and in cooperation with Space and Time magazine, and the best of uh, Dreamforge there, to get to your question, uh, those Dreamforge stories were were my my picks, they're they're the ones that I love, Not you know, so hopefully the... (laughs) Hopefully everyone else did too, but, you know, I'm still just uh, being editor there and and saying this is what I think some, some of our best stories are. And actually I would, I would have called it, these are some of my favorite stories, but the, uh, the, the, you know, that the, the label best of was more a publisher decision <laughs> than an editor decision. So, you know, we're, we're just trying to um, all, all of these venues to try to build a community, I think would be the, best way to say it. Right. We're, we're, not, we're not so much trying to build a, a publishing empire of things as as build a community uh, that basically, just much like Writers of the Future is doing, you're trying to bring along these writers and improve the, the quality of the product in the field. And we're trying to build a community of people who say, I know how to write hopeful stories. And I, I know how to write good stories. And I also know how to be an advocate for the idea that we're you know, not all going to die in a nuclear holocaust. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's good to know. Yeah, that's I think that's one thing that's important that uh, writers need to know is markets, understanding what market means. Like Dreamforge is a market, writers of the future is a market, and just because you're not accepted doesn't mean you didn't write a good story. It's just that it's not your market. Can you explain that a little bit more? It's like maybe it's we're doing that the hammer and anvil where we're just beating up. But people still don't understand that. So just really, when you get something back, it doesn't mean that your writing wasn't good. Because I know writers, until they've gotten over whatever hump, will immediately introvert. I'm not good enough. I'm going to quit. I can't do this. But that's not what's being said. So clarify that piece a little bit more.
1: Oh, I think that 's absolutely true and um you could you could write for a lifetime on something that you really really love and it 's simply not be marketable it's uh, there 's nobody out there who wants your particular thing, and you should you know become self published and you should try to, to to build an audience see if there are other people out there who love what you do but it it certainly doesn 't mean that that what you're writing isn 't competent or capable or engaging uh, sometimes that does mean that but um, it's a little bit like, I always use the, the, well, I will get to the idea of markets here in a second, but I always use the analogy of mar- martial arts. You can basically practice in your basement forever, and that doesn't mean you can go fight a black belt. <laughs> you have to engage in the physical confrontation with with other people, and you have to get that physicality of what it's like to to basically have balance and know what your how your strength matches another strength, and what can you personally do to to you know uh, prevail in in you know basic you know martial arts kind of things. And writing is very much like that. You can't necessarily just write all by yourself and know whether you're you know good enough or doing good enough. So you have to write, but then you also have to submit. And you have to write, but it's also good to interact with other people who are learning. And you have to write, but it's also good to find a mentor or a writing coach or someone who can at least look at, and it doesn't always have to be paid or anything like that, but a teacher, someone who's willing to look at your stuff and say, these are the problems I have with it. Um, look, there's lots of free resources online and there are tons of coaches out there, lots of them better than, than me. And you, you have to engage in that if you want to find out you know, where you're at in that level. Um, you know, do you have your white belt let yet? <laughs> you know, did you did, did did you get your yellow stripe on your belt? You know, that sort of thing. Because because there's a learning process, it's not just sitting down and having brilliance come out of your brain. It's basically learning to make some moves and then learning what you what you did that didn't quite work, and then learning how you improve on that, and then deciding, oh I see that I'm going to be really good at dialogue. That's really one of my strengths. So I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on that because it it really is something that that I can win if I do, uh, you know that kind of thing. But but in doing all that and learning and in growing and in writing the million words you need to to be able to to you know advance toward professional level. Just as you said, you have to pay attention to markets. It's it's not a question. As I you know alluded to earlier, you could send me an absolutely brilliant thing, which is some kind of mood philosophical piece, and it could be worthy of the New Yorker or something, and I'm going to look at it and say, this isn't Dreamforge, this isn't what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, or you could, send, you could send me something that's, that's very good, but it's just like the last thing I published, and I'm not going to do that. One that's kind of well known in, in, in our little industry, Clark's world, uh, Neil Clark's not going to buy a zombie story. Uh, it's just not going to happen as soon as he sees the word zombie or figures out that there's a zombie in it. It's not, it's not going to be in, in, um, in Clark's world. Uh, So every market is something has something like that. And you need to pay attention to what are they doing? What are they buying? And then you need to at least approach that. And sometimes I've had writers, um, you know, when we've explained everything that we need to explain. And when they've read all the stuff, they, they, you know, we return the story and they came back to us with, I met all the marks. I've heard this this phrase. But I met all your marks. And I would respond to that and say, yes, you did. You hit every single mark. And guess what? That was the opening ante into the game. It's like you had to do that before we would even look at it. And once you did that, then we were able to evaluate it. And you just weren't as good as this other guy over here or it wasn't one that we particularly wanted or whatever. But yes, hitting the marks is kind of like the entry fee. It's like, yes, we're glad you did that, but that doesn't mean I'm buying the story. Right. Um, You know, so, so you really have to pay attention to, to what the markets are, what the editor wants, you know, that sort of thing. And we're living in a wonderful age. We're living in an age where you don't necessarily have to pay attention to the editor as the gatekeeper. It's like, of course I'm a Mm -hmm. gatekeeper. I, I, you know, founded the magazine, and I wanted to go in a particular way. So naturally, I'm going to be a gatekeeper. But you can go out there and start your own stuff. It's I had no publishing skills. <laughs> um, you know, I I just basically learned it because I wanted to do it. And if you really want to do something, you can certainly get a website. You can get online. You can get on social media. Um, you can start writing write little bits of stories on Twitter. You know, find people who want to follow you, and just you know just just make your way. Uh, I think today, even one of the ways you can get into traditional publishing is is go out there and um, self-publish, find an audience, and if you go to a, a publisher with an audience, it's like you know, look, it's like I have a million followers. I I sold this many ebooks or whatever. It's like, do you want to see something from you know? That's you're going to them with with something that that uh, they would pay attention to.
0: I get it. Like with writers of the future. Even I just, I had a, a recent, um, this, this past weekend, had Jodi Lynn and I did two um, Zoom events for New Year. You know, here's New Year, make it New Year's resolution of getting that story written. And one of the big, not big problems, sometimes she'll get great stories, but there's no speculative element in it. It's just a really good story. So she has to send, thank you very much. And and um, it's just we, re, we return it because it's not speculative fiction, which is another factor too, you know, that people have to have. Or,
1: or the speculative element comes real late. We've, we've seen that um, where it's it's a perfectly normal dramatic story and you, it's page 20 before a speculative element is introduced. And that's part of that idea of structure. It's part of the basic things that we would teach to our dreamcasters. It's it's basically, you you can't do that.
0: <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, this is science fiction. Okay, so here we go. Then the robot came into the room, you know, <laughs> Now, one thing too, which is um, which we've taken a definite stance on, which is AI-created uh, work. With now a new rule that's going in Volume Forty, that uh, we reject anything that's AI-created. Have you had any issues with that yet? We have not had any
1: issues for that yet, and I'm kind of sad because I want to see an AI-written story. <laughs> So, you know, I, I actually want I have this conceit that I'm smart enough to be able to tell the difference, right? And and I don't know if that's true unless I actually get to, you know, see it. So I'm not encouraging people out there to submit AI written stories to Dreamforge, but if there's someone out there who has experience with that and and can say, "Hey, Scott, here's here's what we mean," you know, I'd I'd certainly like to see see an AI written story. But, you know, obviously we 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 want to basically we're here for creative humans. We're not here to pay machines and we're not here to pay people to just push a button and, and generate a story. I do wonder though, how this is, because again, that idea of remember I I talked a little earlier about calculators came into the the use and my teacher said, you can't use a calculator, but then everybody's using a calculator a couple of years later. Uh, Same thing with, with illustration and Photoshop. There's AI, there's AI uh, now that creates illustrations. Um, but then there's also, you know, Photoshop. And when Photoshop came into use, was that really art? Like was the artist actually So this this argument is this argument has many tentacles and many shades and variations. Yeah. And I'm yeah. wondering I'm wondering if there's some point 5 years, 10 years down the road or you know, sooner than that where there's some element of AI generation or help that becomes acceptable um you know again certainly right
0: now right now there's a class action suit that just went against a few of the different companies using it the um the main thing on it is that what they're doing with ai is that they're skimming exist the computers aren't creating anything they're skimming existing content and they're using that so that they're going to saying it's it's, this plagiarism they're taking their stuff to create something else same thing with art i mean i've we've got the illustrators of future contest so i've definitely seen a lot of of artists and i see what they do when they use photoshop or any of those other types of, of programs they're still creating they're still doing the brushstrokes. strokes whereas i've also gone in when i was told about the ecstasies of ai generated art here try it you know so i went and i gave <laughs> the different commands and i did a piece of art quote unquote i used that very loosely and it was like for for what we see with the Illustrators, the future and rising future is just it's so wrong. Our purpose is to recognize and help nurture new talent. And so that's what that's all about. So I was just curious where you stand at with, with Dreamforge. Yeah.
1: And I certainly I certainly understand it because before this was before Dreamforge, one of the little steps before we got into Dreamforge was uh, we we actually ran an art contest for science fiction because we had some friends who my wife's an artist. We have friends who are artists. Um, One of the things that that, uh, we should say with Dreamforge is Jane Linskold, who's a wonderful writer and she works, she has, she has some novels out um, Aurora Borealis bridge. And um, I have one behind me, actually, David Weber and Jane Linskold, a new clan, but she's, she's an instrumental part of Dreamforge. And she helped us with our, with our art contest as, as well back then. And the idea was, to obviously reward illustrators who who were doing cool things with with art, and we had cash prizes. but we got an entry where I'm going with this is we got an entry that we did recognize as basically hey, this is this is you you went and got art off of a stock art site, and then you put some figures on on the foreground of it. And honestly, when our judges were looking at that, they liked the art in the background, not the stuff you put on the foreground. <laughs> so it was basically somebody else's work attracted us to this as a possible winner. It wasn't what you did with it. So we're, we're disqualifying that. And I, I think that's basically kind of the same idea. It's yeah. like, you're not going, we, we don't particularly want to be here paying you for not using talent, but basically taking someone else's work, you know, nor do we want to be here paying you for basically pressing a button and an AI goes out and skims a bunch of other people's work and combines it. You know, it's like, that's not what we're here for, but like anything else, how is this going to proceed over the next, you know, years, two generations? Right. It's not going to stay stable like it is now. Right. You know, it's not like people came up with this idea and, Oh, we reject it. Never going to be used. Oh, and they're going to shut it all down. It's like, it's going to pr- continue to evolve in some way. I'm going to be fascinated to see it in, in the meantime, no, I'm not buying an AI generated story or parts of it that are substantially AI generated or whatever. And I'm really curious to see someone try because there's so much more than, than to writing a story effectively than, than, you know, having the AI do it. Um, I, I just, I just want to see what my reaction is when I'm faced with that, not as far as whether I'll buy it or not, But am I smart enough to say, yeah, there's something screwy with this? (laughs) It's like, where did this come from?
0: Okay. I was just curious on that because we took a definite stance on that. And it turns out that that's the industry too is definitely has issues with it as well because people worked hard to create their stories or to create their art and to have it some another taken is, you know, for somebody else to take credit for it is, is not okay. Anyway, moving on. Um, one last area I wanted to discuss because we're, as I knew it would be, um, this is going oh, really yeah. fast. <laughs> yep. Yes. Um, the importance of reading other stories to develop your own voice. Like one thing that was done because Owen Hubbard was one of the, the masters of science fiction and fantasy, but also other storytelling, adventure, uh, mystery, westerns, romance uh, in the 30s and 40s. And when he started this competition in 83, that was a lot of what, you know, uh, his com- his contemporaries also had participated in the first judges. And one of the things that was always been encouraged that you got to read, you've got to read other stories. And a lot of them had actually read a lot of his stories because he was like I said, he had he, actually published over 200 stories in the 30s and 40s and in multiple magazines using his own and 15 different pen names. But what's your take on the importance of Aspiring writers to read, you know, you got to write, but also the importance of reading just, and also reading your, you're reading your material. Like we tell people to read writers of the future to know what you need to, what do you, what do we look for? But to read your magazine too, to, and I'll say this for you is to subscribe to your magazine and get it and read it. So, you know, like, what is it that you're looking for? So how important do you see that?
1: Oh, you have to be a reader. I don't know how you can be a writer with, without being a reader and, and, my love is to to read very, very broadly. so you do want to read in your genre you obviously if you're if you're a hard science fiction fan you you want to read hard hard sF and you want to understand what they're using and how they're doing it and how they build character and how they research what it is they do. Um, if you're doing um, you know medieval fantasy, you want to read that but it's also extremely valuable just to read anything else. read Marco Polo, read Lao Tzu read <laughs> read um. You know, anything you can lay your hands on, all of it is basically um, fodder for building up the mind and, and coming to understanding and that sort of thing. You know, it's a it's a, a little bit like I used that um, martial arts analogy earlier when I was younger and in, in martial arts, we were we were doing taekwondo, but we would have wrestlers come in. We would have, you know, people come in from different disciplines. Um, and it, it was basically you need to learn, you need to experience you need to to have those things build up inside you so that so that you have all the knowledge you need to do the thing that you want to do. So when it comes to developing your voice and that sort of thing, that's going to come kind of naturally um, but having all that that stuff in the background and continuing to read after'm I'm, sh- I'm sure that you know, the most successful writers are still you know, reading every day and finding things that they love and, and, uh, and learning from it. Um, you know, so read, read the things you love, but don't get isolated there. You know, read a bunch of other things as, as well that, that maybe seem crazy and completely off mm-hmm. what it is that, that, that you're doing, but you're going to benefit from,
0: from all of it. Okay. Great. Thanks. I just wanted to address that last little point too, because um, they need to know what it is that they're submitting to when they, Mm-hmm. When, when they want to be able to approach Dreamforce, but also just to become your own voice, you need to look and see how other people do it. What do they do? How do they do this thing? Maybe you have to read a story twice. One is just as a fan, you know, as, as employment, as enjoyment. But then again, okay, now how do they accomplish that? I really like this story. What they do? What was their, what was their take on, on, on adding these these characters or on building the suspense that really hooked me? And then study it as, as a, a writer to see what do they do. So. Anyway, well actually one little,
1: yeah. little writing exercise that I that I like to tell people is go get your favorite book, something you know, that's your favorite author, look at a chapter or whatever, and you rewrite it. It's like read it, understand what's there, and then rewrite it. It's like, why are they better than you? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like you're gonna see stuff, you're gonna be able to figure stuff out. It's like like what did they do that makes them sound so good and makes this so and where did where did you fall short of that? And right. and again, that that really engaging with it to, to try to understand
0: it. Well, that's great. Good. Well, we've gone through our hour. So I just want to end off with um, one last question of you. Like, again, how do people, first of all, sign up for and subscribe to dream forge and, and I guess that, that answers. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You can learn everything you need to know by going to dreamforgemagazine.com. So just go to dreamforgemagazine.com. You can learn all about us. There will be links to subscribe, all that sort of stuff, but I do have a special for your listeners, John.
0: Please so if pray. You tell. To
1: <laughs> <laughs> if you go to dreamforgemagazine.com and you do that backslash, and after that you put WOTF. So very simple dreamforgemagazine.com slash WOTF. We have a special offer for your listeners of your podcast where you can either get a digital subscription or a print subscription, but for uh, the first 50 subscribers on either side, print or digital, we're going to give stuff away. So you can, if you're a print subscriber and subscribe to print, you can get a free copy of the Worlds of Light and Darkness anthology that we talked about earlier. Yeah. And if you're subscribing to the digital side, first 50 people who do that, you can get a um, back issue of, of DreamForge. You can get a print so you can actually see what what the print is all about. So um, we have that have that online for you. That's and, at
0: dreamforgemagazine.com um, forward slash WOTF.
1: Yep. W-O-T-F. Yep.
0: Yep. That's awesome. That's,
1: that's, that's pretty simple. That's great. And that's just, that's just for U.S., unfortunately, because of the mailing situation. It's really hard to mail things internationally. Anybody wants real really wants to do international, just contact me, and you want to pay those, those fees. The best thing to do, actually, if you're international, uh, most economical thing, is just go on to Amazon. All of our stuff, our magazines are on Amazon. They're going to ship it to you locally from where they are. It'll save you a bundle.
0: Oh, good. And also, unless you want to go digital, in which case they can go straight to you. Go digital. Yep. Okay. And which that counts in that first 50, if you do the digital. Yep. Good. Because we've got listeners from uh, over 110 countries. So um, I don't to discount the fact there'll be people outside of uh, <laughs> mainland United States, North America here. Oh,
1: well, well, we'll always make a deal. You just might have to do it by <laughs> emailing me. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, send us out through the contact form and we'll figure out how to, how to give you a discount.
0: But. That sounds great. That's great. Thank you very much, Scott, and thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We've also been syndicated on the United Public Radio Network, where you can find these podcasts as well. Writers of the Future series can be purchased wherever books are sold in the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Australia, and South Africa, and available everywhere via Amazon.com. We are especially appreciative of our sponsor, Carnation, for supporting this podcast. Our nation has been making delicious milk products for over a century and is still going strong. Writers and illustrators of the future are contests created by Owen Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Scott.
1: Thank you, John.